Artificial intelligence is all around us, whether that's Amazon's predictions of what we want to buy next or Netflix suggestions for our new favorite show. There are tremendous benefits in this technology for creating better products and better organizations, but there are things we need to consider. Welcome to There's a Better Way. Each episode, Professor Arvind Chandrasekharan sits down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss how business principles can provide solutions to problems we may face in our professional or personal lives. This program is brought to you by The Ohio State University, Max M. Fisher College of Business. Welcome to There is a Better Way. I'm here with Professor Nate Craig, Associate Professor in the Operations and Business Analytics, and also an expert in uh, AI, Artificial Intelligence, and Machine Learning. Welcome to the program, Nate. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So, Nate, uh, uh, one of the things that we would like to talk today is uh, we've all heard about ChatGPT and other uh, kind of AI tools being used in the right way and the wrong way and all. But at the, at the, at the core of these issues is that uh, concept of AI and machine learning, I'm going to use AI ML from now on, is, is to make, make better decisions. Mm-hmm. So how does that happen? Like, what is the process that goes behind the scenes that allows uh, AI and, and machine learning to do better decisions? Absolutely. So I encourage a pretty simple mental model for when you're thinking about how uh, decisions are actually made. And this is really inspired by basic economics. Mm-hmm. So we can take any decision and we can divide it into a prediction component and evaluation component. Right, so let's take a simple decision under uh, that's affected by uncertainty, a simple wager. So let's say I come to you and I say, uh, AC, I will give you a hundred dollars if a fair coin flip ends up on heads, zero dollars if a fair coin flip ends up on uh, tails. And so the prediction component there is there's a 50-50 chance mm-hmm. of each outcome, and of course the valuation is the monetary outcome in this sure. case. So you can wrap those up. The typically way we typical excuse me way we would do that would be through expected value, and say the expected value of that wager is about fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Now the decision that you might have is: Do I want to pay some amount of money to participate in this? Mm-hmm. Right. So certainly you wouldn't want to pay more than fifty dollars. Your valuation might change a little bit. You might prefer winning. You might you know not. You might be put off through what we call prospect theory of Mm -hmm. losses. Mm -hmm. So you might say, well, I'll only end up paying $20. But fundamentally what you're doing is comparing this prediction. Mm -hmm. If I take the wager, 50-50 chance of the outcome. Of course, if I don't take the wager, the outcome is is certain. And you're combining it with these values. So this is something that we're used to doing kind of across uh, the board. One, uh, another example that I think is a little more everyday of this is how we respond to rain forecasts, Mm -hmm. right? So we all have essentially the same forecast sources, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody will see if there's a 0% chance of rain, um, people will rarely decide to carry an umbrella. As that goes up to 50, 60, 70%, of course, you will see more people carrying umbrellas. Mm-hmm. This is a case where the prediction is the same, but mm-hmm. people's valuations are different, different, right? So even in extreme cases, there are people that will say, I, jo- I will under no circumstances carry an umbrella. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are people that will uh, do the opposite in the sense of they'll tend to be prepared for even small chances. So our differing values can change our decisions, even under the same prediction. And of course, the opposite is true as well. So where I encourage folks to think about uh, AI's impact on decisions is as a tool for predictions. 
line. So let's say that prediction continues to get better and better. And the wager forecast, of course, you're going to be, or sorry, in the wager example, of course, you're going to be able to make a better gambling decision mm -hmm. if you know that 50-50 correctly, mm -hmm. right? So if you have correct information about the possible outcomes, that would be an improving prediction. We see improving predictions all around us in, uh, in industry now, right? So better and better models for looking at, for instance, financial services, uh, loan defaulting, product recommendations, what's the probability that you want a given product? Mm -hmm. ChatGPT, at its core is a prediction tool for predicting what is the next word in a given sentence or sequence. Even sort of the kind of the cutting edge of AI, if you look at image to, uh, sorry, text to image models, like Stable Diffusion and Midjourney, these are all predicting what image you want to see in response to a specific text prompt. Mm -hmm. Right. So a unifying framework for thinking about how AI actually affects decisions is it is impacting specifically that prediction component. Okay. So so and and like going back to the prediction component, Nate. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Is that uh, you're predicting something based on some historical data. Yes. So is it fair to then assume that uh, the prediction is only as accurate as the data that goes into these kind of uh, decision-making models? Absolutely, absolutely. And one kind of very important aspect of this is when we start to think about automation, mm -hmm. right? So if you have a model, so one question people will have is, well, if I'm automating a decision, aren't I combining the prediction and the value? And the answer is, of course, certainly you are. We are layering those values on top of the prediction. Mm -hmm. We can do this in several ways. So one way is to say, is the kind of the future going to look like a past mm -hmm. in, the way, uh, in a way that makes automating this uh, tool or even rolling out this tool in the first place a reasonable decision? Um, but we can also sort of just put in mundane uh, I'll say financial types of values, and by mundane, I don't mean not important, I just mean very easy to calculate, right? So if you think of that uh, example of predicting whether a loan will default, mm -hmm. we could automate the loan defaulting decision by saying, here's how much the loan is for, here's the interest rate, here's our risk tolerance, and so on. However, we do have this concern that you brought up on top of it, first of all, is uh, which is, does the Will the future outcomes look like what we have in our data set? We also have a whole series of ethical concerns as well. Mm -hmm. right? So is the, is the model making decisions based on um, illegal factors, unethical factors, mm -hmm. and so on? One key or one kind of exciting thing in this automation space is models are getting better and better at learning our valuation implicitly. And here's what I mean by this. So GPT's training, uh, the earlier versions of it from OpenAI, so GPT-1, GPT-2, they were all simply giving you the most likely next word, mm -hmm. just that kind of most likely prediction. ChatGPT's innovation, or one of its key innovations, was what's called incorporating human feedback. So you see the thumbs up and the thumbs down mm -hmm. buttons. And of course, in the background, OpenAI hired thousands of people to look at literally millions of chats and sure. to say, this is a good chat, that is a bad chat. And again, that's just another example of layering the valuation on top of the model. Mm -hmm. right? So when you think about value valuation, it can be explicit, it can be implicitly taught to the model, but it can also be a sort of a layer on top of it um, that looks at the ethical piece of uh, putting something into production. Okay, so, so this again goes back to, I, I'm glad you mentioned about ethical decisions and all. 
this is also like the reason I'm asking this is like let's talk about um, let's go beyond ChatGPT to look at AI application in, in healthcare decision making, for instance, just mm-hmm. as a an example. So when you make decisions in healthcare, again, like you're using uh, data from the past and data to predict, okay, what happens to a patient's uh, like uh, outcomes based on some historical data. Mm-hmm. Now, if the data is biased. Then again, like this is the reason why again sometimes you hear in the news that um, some of the models are not better predicting um, health outcomes for a, a very like a, a small group of population because the population that they are predicting on, be it like black mothers mm-hmm. or like a, a, a different kind of people out there, what that tells you is that that, that there is no ex- existing data to predict uh, what happens to one group. Is the, is is that mm-hmm. a, another problem with AI if you don't have the right representative sample? then you're not going to have better predictions? So that's absolutely a problem. And it could be that the that the data is just not there. It could also be that you're just using the, the wrong data. There's actually really connecting to that. There's a really interesting, I'll say, case study in this that's, that's evolving kind of right in front of us, which is the difference between how um, uh, OpenAI and Google have, have rolled out their distinct language models, mm-hmm. right? So this, and again, this is the reason it connects to the example you gave uh, is on the kind of the safety of deployment, safety of application space. So the T in ChatGPT stands mm-hmm. for transformer, which is a type of large language model that was actually developed at Google in 2017. And it's a fascinating example because you can track how Google assessed the deployment of the technology on an ethical front. Okay. So you can go through their annual kind of AI uh, and product ethics report, and you can see one major concern they had about the technology is it has a tendency to, quote-unquote, hallucinate, sure. or just to provide false information. Mm-hmm. And we have two distinct examples of how companies uh, basically approach the same technology. So OpenAI uh, released their technology and kind of iterated in public. Mm-hmm. Google kept their technology private until, you know, I think it's arguable to say until um, there was enough competitive pressure from OpenAI where they said, okay, we need to go and release our our product, which they, again, they call, uh, again, they call BARD. And so this is a fantastically complex issue for organizations because you have not only sort of the risk of iterating in public, the risk of releasing a product that is unethical in some sense, but you also have huge organizational issues around things like as an example, talent management, mm-hmm. right? So if you are a leading uh, uh, machine learning engineer working on these technologies, it's one thing to work at a company that says we're going to be constantly releasing and touting your product. I think you know we've all seen the stat that uh, ChatGPT was the fastest uh, sure. adoption process of any of any any product ever, um, versus a company that's saying, hey, we need to be cautious. This yeah. this is potentially dangerous. So there are there are it's a you know it's a fascinating area and there are ramifications across the board for firms and how they actually deal with this. You've got to be very comprehensive before. Yes. The the other couple of questions I have on this topic, Nate, is one thing is about can AI replace a lot of human decision making and mm-hmm. and are there um, jobs or uh, areas where it's very hard for AI to come in and replace some of the the decisions that are made by humans. So I'm, I'll take a little bit of a different um, tact at, at, at answering this, which is to say, what's a good model for thinking about how AI will affect a decision? And then, of course, that'll 
you know, if we do this well, then we can down down the road answer your question. Um, So, you know, in general, as these, so going back to our model of a decision is prediction and value. As the prediction changes, there's a, and I should, should not say it just changes, I should say as the prediction improves, there's a whole spectrum of ways in which the decision and ultimately the organization can change, mm-hmm. right? So a model that I really like using, and I'll kind of lay out this model, and then I'll give you some examples that, that we're all familiar with, is to say, okay, what are the key tasks driven by the organization's missions? What are the key tasks that it has to perform? Uh, what decisions are involved in those tasks? And how do those decisions change as prediction improves? Right. So if we can answer those questions, mm-hmm. then we can answer the the, sure, the workforce yeah. the workforce question. So one kind of recommendation I have when you're applying this model, great place to start is decisions that are associated with uncertainty. Okay. Right? So let me give you a few examples of what I mean. So let's think of kind of traditional e-commerce versus how Amazon is developing. Mm-hmm. The, prediction and the decision these firms, excuse me, the decision these firms have to make is how much inventory do we hold and where do we hold? Mm-hmm. Right. So you can think of sort of a traditional retail model might say something like we have a West Coast distribution center, we have an East Coast distribution center and we keep inventory there and we service our customers from the respective sides of the, uh, of the, of the continent. Now, the nice thing about that model is it pools uncertainty around what people want to buy. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot easier to say, I know person A, person B, and person C want to buy this specific chair. <laughs> it's a lot harder to say person A wants to buy a specific chair than it is to say, I think I can sell, sell about 50,000 of these chairs. chairs right? yeah. So that was a solution, this sort of uh, a large warehouse distribution center model was a solution to this problem of we don't know exactly who wants to buy what. So let's say you are an e-commerce firm and your prediction starts to get better and better. Mm-hmm. You could make a small change and you can say, you know, I'm going to use this, these better predictions to make better decisions about what I put in my two large warehouses. Mm-hmm. And you will see improvements. Yeah. You know, you will be, you will have uh, fewer cases where you don't have something that the person wants to buy. You'll have less inventory that's kind of sitting around your warehouse and needs to be discounted and so on. So that's the kind of small change that can happen when a prediction improves. Where I think you see the truly, uh, I'll say, transformational and competitive applications of AI is when you ask, what else can we do as that prediction improves? Mm -hmm. And Amazon is a wonderful example of this in e-commerce. So the downside of this warehouse model is lead times. Mm -hmm. If you're in Maine and your uh, distribution center is in Memphis, you place an order, I can't get that to you the same day. What Amazon has observed is we can, as we are better and better about predicting what people want to buy, we can hold the inventory closer and closer to the customer. Once we can do that, we can deliver faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Right. So as that prediction, what do you want to buy dial kind of increases, <laughs> Amazon has been very savvy about saying we're gonna actually change the decision and our operation model sure. to match that. And as a matter of fact, you can see a patent that they uh, applied for, I think it was five or 10 years ago, now kind of shows their, their far sight on this issue. As that dial gets turned way up, mm-hmm. it, you know, what else might happen? Well, we might just ship you products that we think that you want. You right? They call it predictive, predictive shipping. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's reasonable, I think, to think that they will get there within some, you know, some number of years. Right now, the reverse logistics costs are still a little bit too high. 
but they are on a path to completely transform the way they operate by asking this simple question, as my prediction gets better, mm-hmm. how should I change the decisions that I make? Another great example is Netflix and Spotify. So if you remember when, when both of these firms started, they basically tried to act as a library. Mm-hmm. Netflix, in some sense, was kind of replacing the blockbuster model where you kind what of go around do? and browse and find something that you, that you like. But they've gotten better at better predicting what you want to watch, yeah. right? So now this lets them be sort of a curated experience where they say, oh, AC, this is something I think that you would like to watch or listen to. And of course, they're not stopping there, yeah. right? So as they're getting better and better, they're making their own content. As a matter of fact, it's, you know, when you when you said let's speculate about where things might go in the kind of in the long term, um, we're seeing more and more generative models. It's not unreasonable to think that some combination of generative models with next generation devices, we're all wearing more mm-hmm. devices that are, are collecting biometrics, yeah. Samsung and Apple are releasing headsets. It's not unreasonable to think that in some number of years, your Netflix might look very different from my Netflix because it's all kind of custom generated sure. content to uh, to what I like that could even be developed on the fly in response to my immediate, uh, even physiological response to, uh, to, to the content. Nate, these are great discussions. I mean, I really like the examples that you gave. Clearly, like a lot of things that AI can do in terms of making better decisions, making better prediction models, right? So if I'm a consumer out there, a listener for our podcast is not probably going to work for Amazon or Google at this point, but they are wondering, how is this affecting their day-to-day life? And I know for a fact, everything that we do right now is surrounded by some aspect of AI and machine learning. What do you tell them in terms of, okay, this proliferation of these technologies that's going on right now? That's a wonderful question, AC. So the first thing I recommend for everyone is just to be aware of what's going on. Um, know kind of that this landscape is changing absolutely radically and, and, and quickly. Um, for instance, looking at your phone right now, I can tell you on a millisecond by millisecond basis, it's guessing what activity you're up to. As you know, it's listening um, for your keywords and so on. So this is something that really is going to be all around us. It's going to continue to be all around us. My personal view is that there are just tremendous opportunities for making our lives, our organizations, our businesses, our society better. But of course, there are risks that go along with it. One thing that's amazing about being here at uh, Ohio State and at Fisher is we have remarkable colleagues. Uh, Dennis Hirsch is one example that study these ethical uh, issues and potential uh, pitfalls of deploying these technologies. So we have a program here at Fisher uh, later this year where uh, Dennis and I will be uh, talking about these uh, these issues. But again, at a high level, I think it's just something that it's important for everyone to be aware of the tremendous changes in this technology. Great. Hey, I, I really enjoyed this discussion, Nate. I think there's a lot for everyone to learn about what these can do and what are some potential limitations and what we should be aware of. So thank you again for your time, Nate. Thank you, AC. Great. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. For more episodes or more information about The Ohio State University Max M. Fisher College of Business, please visit fisher.osu.edu.